Welcome to Sex Ed with DB. I'm your host, Danielle Bezalow. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the podcast. If you love and support the work that we do, join my crew on Patreon to win amazing prizes like our adorable merch, exclusive behind the scenes content, private sessions with yours truly, and incredible sex toys. Go to patreon.com slash sexedwithdb to join my crew. Get discounts at all of my favorite brands at sexedwithdb.com. And follow us on Instagram at sexedwithdbpodcast and on TikTok at sexedwithdb. If you want to partner with us, email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. We talk a lot about sex education, but when I'm shopping for products to support my sexual wellness, exploration, and expression, I head to the experts at Lion's Den. Lion's Den is an adult retailer with over 50 locations nationwide and hundreds of your favorite brands. They have everything you need to explore and express your sexual side. Right now, you can use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off your purchase in-store and online at lionsden.com. Follow them on social media at Lion's Den Adult on Instagram and TikTok for exclusive offers, deals, and giveaways. When you think about the words pleasure and power, what comes to mind? If you're a fan, you know my answer will always be the magic wand. As the world's first ever and best-selling massage wand, the magic wand's familiar shape and legendary power have made magic wand a cultural icon. Revered by millions, it transcends planes of culture and gender. Its impact is so great that Time Magazine included it on its list of the most influential gadgets of all time. Want to get in on the fun? Go to sexedwithdb.com slash magic wand to learn more and see how you could win your very own magic wand. A premium razor and a clitoral vibrator in one discreet product? What? Why hasn't that been thought of before? Well, Freya did. So you've had a long day and all you want to do is take a flight to Pleasure Town, but ugh, you have to shave before a busy day tomorrow. The game plan? Get an amazing shave with Freya's premium razor filled with aloe and vitamin E shave soap. You can subscribe the replaceable blades for just $9.99 for a four-pack. And then, okay, ready for this? Remove the razor head, hang it on the wall holder, click the power button, and use the handle as a clitoral vibrator. Freya just put the genius in G-Spot. Use code SEXEDWITHDB to get 20% off your Freya now. And for a limited time, you can enter to buy one Freya and get one for your bestie for free. Enter to win at highfreya.com slash sexedwithdb now. So, you're ready to experiment with anal play, but you're not sure where to start. If I were you, I'd start with education and products by a company founded by a doctor who's an expert on anal sex. I'm talking about Future Method. Future Method develops science-backed products and doctor-led education to maximize pleasure, eliminate injury, and empower the way people choose to play in the bedroom. They even have a blog that puts education at the forefront on topics both popular and taboo. Use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at futuremethod.com. Let's talk about a lube I absolutely love, UberLube. UberLube makes sex better for everyone by reducing friction and increasing pleasure. Whether you're using it for solo sex, sex with a partner, or both, UberLube has a long-lasting performance that lets skin feel skin. It has simple body and condom-friendly ingredients, is scent and color-free, dissipates when no longer needed so there's no sticky residue, and is recommended by leading doctors. Use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at uberlube.com. Dr. Lori, welcome to the show. How's it going? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I am thrilled for you to be here. You are someone who 
I have been following for quite some time now and just can't wait to get to know better and learn from you today. Well, I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. Let's go ahead and get started. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and just tell us about your work and who you are. Okay, great. So I'm Dr. Lori Mintz, and I'm a professor at the University of Florida, where I teach the psychology of human sexuality to hundreds of students a year. It's so much fun and such an honor. And I'm also a licensed psychologist and a certified sex therapist in private practice, seeing individuals and couples for general and sexual issues. And I'm also the author of two books, both aimed at empowering women sexually, A Tired Woman's Guide to Passionate Sex and Becoming Clitorate, Why Orgasm Equality Matters and How to Get It. You're very busy, it seems. You have (laughs) a lot going on. You have no free time. It's all about pleasure. That's awesome. I would have loved to have you as a professor. Uh, Your students are very lucky, and I hope they know that. Well, thank you. I'm very lucky as well. They're wonderful. And I learned from them as well. Of course. Yeah. Teaching is so fun and very rewarding. And if you've been doing it for as long as you've been doing it, I'm sure that you've met so many amazing people who I'm sure have become your colleagues in some capacity or people who you're working alongside, which is very special. Definitely. I have so many former students I'm in touch with and who've gone into the field. And it's wonderful to go from student to friend and colleague. Yeah, very special. Talk to me about what your sex ed was like growing up. I want to know what made you so passionate about this work and how did you get here? I have to credit my mother, to be honest with you. So, I mean, I didn't have sex ed in school. Like, I mean, my sex ed was, you know, pretty non-existent in terms of any kind of school or religious based But my mother was unusually sex positive, like unusually sex positive and very open about sex. You know, the story I love to tell about her, there's so many, but the one that I love to tell about her is I was about mm, maybe like eight or nine and she used to take these baths at night and we would all know we weren't supposed to talk to her during her bath. But one day I was very anxious. So I knocked on the door. I was like, I have to talk to you. She's like, it's my bath time. I was like, please, it's so important. She's like, come in, you know? And I said, I have to tell you, like, I have to tell you what I've been doing. I've been touching myself down there. <gasps> she goes, she goes, that's what you interrupted my bath for? <laughs> Everyone does that. Just make sure you close your door. Now leave. I'm taking my bath. Just like very, very nonchalant. And she was, you know, very open about sex. And so I mean, I think I never really had on my own radar to become a sex therapist or to write about sex. But when I became a psychologist, I soon learned that even psychologists have no training on sex. And so I started, you know, self-educating beyond just, you know, what was in the literature, et cetera. And I was naturally comfortable with the topic. So I kind of was able to take the comfort instilled by my mom and put it into practice by always asking my clients about sex and then, you know, getting more and more specialized training on it. Yeah. Wow. What a 
beautiful start to just for your mom to just say, hey, that's normal. You just go do your thing. I think that's very special. I can totally relate. My mom is an OBGYN. And so I had an awesome upbringing. I always say, you know, we talked placenta over pizza, like at dinner, she would just <laughs> come, come home and just talk about her deliveries. And it was just part of normal life conversation. So I think that that, yeah, that makes sense that you were kind of like, oh, wow, this is so interesting to me. And yeah, you want to make it your life's work. That's really great. You mentioned your book, one of your books, Becoming Cliterate. I want to hear a little bit more about that and the frameworks that you share in it and included in that. I want to hear about the orgasm gap, right? Like what causes it, how to close it, you know, both culturally and individually. So Becoming Cliterate is a combination of feminist analysis and self-help to close the orgasm gap, both individually and culturally. So let's start with what the orgasm gap is, and that is the consistent finding in the scientific literature that when cisgender women and cisgender men get it on, the women are having substantially fewer orgasms than the men. Just to illustrate with one study, in one study, 39% of women versus 91% of men said they usually orgasm during a sexual encounter. Whoa! Now, that study didn't ask the context of the sex. Was it hookup sex? Was it relationship sex? But later studies found that, of course, right, it's huge, way biggest in hookup sex, Gets smaller in friends with benefits, smaller in relationship sex, but it never closes altogether. And many people will say, oh, it's because women's bodies are difficult or elusive to make orgasm. Not true. How do we know that? Why? Because when women masturbate, they orgasm easily, and 95% do. And also, when having sex with other women, women have more orgasms than when having sex with men. In the most striking study, which just blew my mind, it was a small, small sample, but still, bisexual women who hooked up with women and men, so same woman, same body, when they hooked up with women, they said they orgasmed 64% of the time during first-time hookups, with men, 7% of the time. Oh, oh, Oh my God, stark. Yeah. And what does that tell us? It tells us that the problem is in our bodies. The problem is the way we do heterosexual sex. And that's that's what Becoming Cliterate aims to expose and change culturally and in individual bedrooms. That is so incredibly important. And I really love the idea of using science and data to show like what you said, this isn't a problem about the vulva or the vagina or the clitoris. Those things are working very well uh, as, as our good Lord intended. But like, I just feel like that is so wild that when cis women are masturbating, they have no problem yet in our media, in our society, what we learn about through these cultural messages is that, oh, it's too hard to make women orgasm. So you might as well just focus on the male pleasure, right? Like that's what the porn is, the cum shot. There's like all of these kinds of things that are focusing our attention on ensuring that 
if, you know, you're talking about a cisgendered heterosexual experience that the man ends up orgasming and that's just not uh, needed. And it's more about teaching people how to give women pleasure. And do you have any kinds of theories on like why, for example, like the orgasm gap is lessened with lesbian women or with gay men? Like what's, what's going on there? Are queer people pleasure wizards or is something else <laughs> happening? So, and I think it, it goes back to exactly what you said. And this is really the thesis of becoming cliterate. And then I talk about how to change it culturally and individually, but it is the way we do heterosexual sex. We revolve the whole thing around penetration, around intercourse. And the bottom line is that is not the way most women orgasm. In fact, only 4% of women say penetration is their most reliable route to orgasm. Yet in heterosexual sex, it's like this staircase model, you know, foreplay just to get her ready for intercourse, intercourse, male orgasm, sex over. Whereas in lesbian sex, there's much more turn-taking. There's no penis to revolve the whole thing around. So penetration is only included and incorporated if someone finds it enhances their pleasure, which for some it does and for some it doesn't. So it's a choice rather than, you know, the intercourse imperative that goes on in heterosexual sex. And that is the reason for the orgasm gap. And I'm not blaming women or men. I'm blaming culture. We are so misguided by culture that, you know, women think, oh, I can do this when I'm alone, but I won't need it with a man. And men, you know, get their messages from porn, lots of long lasting thrusting, you know, which isn't going to result in orgasm. And for many women is going to result in pain. Right. It's like, no, please, I'm begging you to stop. Like that's yeah. not, that's not <laughs> feeling good for me. Yeah. So it's really a cultural problem. Right. Yeah. 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 I think that that's so right. And I think like for me as a millennial woman, like seeking these messages from movies that I, you know, am watching of thinking, okay, why is it like thrust, 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 roll off of me sex over somehow the woman is screaming in pleasure. And like, realistically, that's maybe only happening for 4%, as you mentioned, of women. Right. And it's so interesting because you said like as a millennial woman, woman, and it's, this is problem I think has gotten worse, not better because like I'm in my sixties. Right. And I used to talk to my mom before she passed away and she was in her eighties and we didn't have good sex at either. Right. So we talked to each other. We talked, you know, we figured it out, but millennials, don't have good sex ed, but they have something instead. They have false images. Right. That we do Arguably have. worse, question mark. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think things have gotten worse, not better. I can't tell you how many young women have said to me, I think my vagina's broken. Oh, that's so horrific that we are failing these women and these people to not let them know, number one, that their experiences are common, not normal, but common, that they deserve pleasure, that masturbation is sex, sex with yourself is sex, and we should treat it as such. I want to save it till the end to ask you maybe like, what are some tips and tricks to close the orgasm gap? We'll, we'll make the listeners wait. We'll make them wait. <laughs> 
I know that you have a TED Talk with over a million views called A New Sexual Revolution for Orgasm Equality. And I also know that you did this amazing homework, which we're very grateful for. And we would love for you to do a two to three minute version of that TED Talk. Give us a little a little piece right now. I, would, I think our listeners would, it would behoove us to listen to you. I would love to. I would love to. So the actual talk is 12 minutes. And actually, I'll tell you something very interesting, which I don't have in this talk. The talk online is actually, it, it doesn't include the first three minutes. The recording broke. And I had to go into the studio and find a place to start it. But I will tell you that the first three minutes involved me telling a hysterical story about my mother, which I don't have in this three-minute version. But if you want me to, I'll come back to because it's one of my favorite stories about my mother ever. Oh, I love it. Let's definitely hear that afterwards. Okay. So my favorite part of being a sex educator is helping people replace sexual myths with science-based facts. And of all the falsehoods that I correct, there is one that has the power to dramatically change sex lives for the better. That falsehood is the idea that women should orgasm from penetration alone. Very few women orgasm from intercourse alone. In anonymous polls conducted across many years and with thousands of my students, Only 4% of women say that their most reliable route to orgasm is intercourse alone. The rest need clitoral stimulation. Yet despite the centrality of the clitoris to women's sexual pleasure, we never learn about it in sex ed, and we rarely see it depicted in media images of sex. Instead, what we see is very little fooling around, The man puts his penis in the woman's vagina and she has an instantaneous orgasm. It's no wonder that the number one question women ask me is, how do I have an orgasm during intercourse? And the number one question men ask me is, how do I give a woman an orgasm during intercourse? And magazines routinely answer this question. They publish articles on, quote, the best sex position for her orgasm without mentioning the clitoris at all. The language used in these articles and in our culture as a whole reflects and perpetuates the overvaluing of male sexual pleasure that is at the heart of the orgasm gap. We use the word sex and intercourse as if they were one and the same. And we call everything that comes before intercourse foreplay, implying it's just a lead up to the main event, despite the fact that foreplay includes the type of clitoral stimulation most likely to bring women to orgasm. And we call all of women's genital anatomy a vagina, thus linguistically erasing the part of ourselves that gives us the most pleasure. We call our entire genital anatomy by the part involved in penetration and male pleasure. If the tables were turned and we overvalued women's sexual pleasure, we would call foreplay sex and intercourse postplay. <laughs> Sorry, that's but, really funny. Keep going. <laughs> but I am not suggesting we turn the tables. I am proposing that we start equally valuing women's and men's most surefire routes to orgasm. 
Wow. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is so, yes. I have never in my all years of doing this, even though sex educators talk about this a lot in terms of, you know, the vagina, we're mislabeling it. I thought of that as a separate issue, right? Then the fact that we are not talking about the clitoris enough and only talking about sex in the context of penetration, that as another issue. But putting them together, the fact that we say vagina because it involves a penis, it, it's like a, another layer that I have not even considered. You just broke my brain in a good way. <laughs> Once you see it, you can't unsee it. You can't. Yeah, it's wow. So, it's so deeply... The devaluing of women's sexual pleasure is so deeply ingrained in the fabric of our culture that we don't even notice it. Yes. Wow. That was an amazing test. I can't wait to watch the entire thing. And I would love to hear the story about your mom. So I opened the talk and I was so sad it was cut off. I said, and I'll say, I do remember this part without even looking because it's so, it's a story my family's told over and over. When I was eight years old, I looked inside my father's nightstand drawer and found condoms. The sex researcher in me then started going there once a day to count to see how many were missing. (laughs) I did this for about a week and then I felt really guilty. So I fearfully confessed to my mother. I said, mom, I've been counting dad's condoms every day to see how many are missing. Without missing a beat, my mother said, well, did we have a good week? I then told her the number that was missing. She said, pretty good. Stay away from the drawer. And do you have any questions about sex? Wow. Isn't that cool? I would have and loved that, to have met your mom. She sounds yeah, like she was an amazing a character. person. <laughs> she was a character. Yeah. Also, are you from New York by any chance? I am. Okay, because well, I'm Buffalo, from Buffalo, New York. Okay, I'm from Long Island, so I can just sense. Like, I'm also Jewish. Don't I don't want to. I don't know. I don't want to assume. Jewish. Yes, but, you yes, know, yes. You you feel I'm like Jewish you can know. And from New York. Yeah, <laughs> we have a kinship, and so I feel. You know, you can. I'm also pretty good at with accents, and you do sound like a New Yorker, even though you're from Buffalo, which is interesting. But I think there's something special about New. Did your mom grow up in New York? I was going to say she about was New York. Born moms. in Buffalo and never left. Okay, so New York yeah. Jewish moms, very particular. York, yes, a very small slice of the pie, seemingly quite comfortable with sex, right? That's that's right. Yes, and their and bodies, just, and their bodies. Yes. Totally. Yeah. Love that. Love that we have that in common. That makes that me feel so very happy. Cool. Yeah. It makes uh, me happy too. Yeah. That's that's amazing. Love your TED Talk. Can't wait to tune into the full version. Switching gears a little bit. I want to talk about your other professional side, which is that, again, you're a licensed psychologist for over 30 years, Three zero. Holy cow. That's incredible. And I'm sure that the listeners are curious about this too, but I want to hear about the issues that come up most when it comes to couples that you see together. I'm personally a big proponent of couples therapy. I think it's just an amazing, I'm a big proponent of therapy in general. I think it's just an amazing tool that individuals and couples can and should use to better themselves in their relationships and their relationship with themselves, honestly. 
And I'm curious about what tools seem to work very well for these issues also that come up. Yeah, well, I'm glad you're a big therapy proponent. I am too. I feel like if you find the right therapist and you show up with an open mind and an open heart, it can really change your life and your relationship. And a lot of people do come to me for that personal growth, but mostly I see people in distress. And when I see them in distress, it's usually around sexual issues, right? Because people know me for that. And the women I see often come for one of two reasons or three. One is, well, low desire, like not being interested in sex anymore. That's why I see a lot of like women over 35 for that. Then I see a lot of young women for lack of orgasm, can't have an orgasm with a partner or sometimes alone. I see a lot of couples because they're just gave up on sex. It's so rare and it's gone so long that they really don't even know how to approach it anymore. Maybe they get in their heads about it. Yeah, exactly. And the longer it goes, the harder it is. I also see a lot of trauma survivors and kind of who want in later form of treatment to deal with the effects of the sexual assault or sexual trauma on their sex life. But mostly, mostly it's orgasm issues in younger women and diminished desire and lack of sex in longer term couples. Yeah. That's kind of a large range, though, of topics that you cover, different kinds of folks who approach you. I'm wondering, is there kind of like a universality to the work that you do in terms of the tools that you offer them? Is it really individual? Like, talk to me about the kind of the, you know, not necessarily the individual treatment plans, but just like common themes that come up that that people find helpful. That is such a good question. So, there are some things, right? Like, I wouldn't give the same you know, homework or information or ideas to someone with low desire is someone with orgasm. But here's what cuts across all of it is learning the truth, right? Like a Mm. lot of times people think they're broken because they don't have information based in science about how bodies work, how sex works. So really like blowing myths and helping people feel normal. That's a big part of the therapy. Another part is giving them information that they're not privy to around desire, around orgasm, and then like some really specific strategies, homework to go home and try. And honestly, two things that cut across almost every client I see is letting go of shame around sex, around being normal, and with every couple, every couple I work with, the universal thing is communicating better in and out of the bedroom. And even with my individual clients, a lot of the issues that they're facing, maybe not sexual, if it's masturbation, but beyond that, much of what they're facing is due to faulty communication. Let me tell you about one of my favorite sex toy shops out there, Lion's Den. If you haven't heard about Lion's Den before, I can't wait to tell you all about them. Lion's Den first opened its retail facility in Columbus, Ohio in 1971. 
That's right, over 50 years ago. Since then, they have grown to more than 50 outlets throughout the U.S., building its reputation on high-quality products, low prices, and a knowledgeable sales staff. Their staff are also sexual wellness experts who can help you find the perfect toy. One of the many things I love about Lion's Den is that they advocate for a sex-positive perspective on intimacy and sexual well-being, and strive to break the stereotypes and stigma surrounding sex by providing comprehensive educational resources to empower everyone to enjoy life to the fullest. They're simply amazing. Lucky for you, Lion's Den is giving my listeners an exclusive discount of 15% off your purchase in-store and online with code SEXEDWITHDB at lionsden.com. What are you waiting for? Get your amazing Lion's Den toy now. Here are my top three favorite things I love about Uberlube. Number one, Uberlube makes sex feel a lot more pleasurable. It's as simple yet as powerful as that. Number two, Uberlube is recommended by leading doctors and its body-friendly ingredient list is widely used by people with sensitivities to lubricants. And number three, Uberlube will not stain clothing or bedding. Any spills can be easily cleaned with detergent and water. Get your bottle of Uberlube now with code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at uberlube.com. Let's talk about butt acne. Not what you expected me to say, huh? Well, we're here now, so let's get into it. I personally struggle with butt acne, and it really brings down my self-confidence sometimes. One thing that has really helped me is the butt and body scrub by Future Method. Future Method is science-backed and doctor-led, so I know I can trust them. Their quick and gentle exfoliating booty scrub cleanser is great to use on your body and between your butt cheeks. Its doctor-approved ingredients are infused with a refreshing and invigorating hit of citrus, clove, and cedar to soften, smooth, and tone your skin. Get yours now at futuremethod.com and use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at checkout. Let's play a little fill-in-the-blank game where you have to guess what goes in the blank. Cosmopolitan Magazine called the blank the little black dress of vibrators, and Time Magazine named the blank among the top 10 most influential gadgets of all time. Even at 50 years old, the blank is still turning heads as the most recommended and best-selling massage wand in America. Any guesses? The answer is the magic wand. It's loved by millions for a reason. It's powerful and hits all the right pleasure points. Want to see what all the fuss is about? Go to sexedwithdb.com slash magicwand to learn more and see how you could win your very own magic wand rechargeable. What do I love about my Freya? The incredible razor and clitoral vibrator in one discreet product? Let me count the ways. I love that when I'm already in the shower getting clean, it's super easy for me to grab my Freya and give myself some serious loving. I love that I don't need to get out of bed, clean my toy, and get out of the mood. As soon as the mood strikes, my Freya is right there to play with. And I love the smooth, clean shave it gives. Use code SEXEDWITHDB to get 20% off your Freya. And for a limited time, enter to buy one Freya, get one for your bestie for free. Enter to win at highfreya.com slash sexedwithdb now. I feel like I'm sure this kind of comes up in your therapy just around like culture and the different way that people are raised when they are taking the kinds of communication that they were taught, whether that be their family talked about everything or their family talked about nothing or somewhere in between that spectrum. I imagine it's really tough to figure out how to 
deal with and work with different communication styles and the way in which we talk about these things, if we're already feeling so much shame or so much worry around the things that are happening, it can be really hard to really have a productive conversation where both people are feeling heard and like met in the middle. Exactly. A hundred percent. Like so many people get defensive, people shut down, people feel criticized when they're not being criticized. People say something in a way that sounds critical and there's so much. And then people carry these things with them. There's a metaphor I use with almost all of my couples. I say that for every relationship we have, we carry an invisible backpack on our back. And we walk around and we like pick up a pebble and we're like, eh, eh, not worth it, throw it in the backpack. Or we pick up a rock and we're like, oh, I got to work this out. We try, we don't throw that in the backpack. And by the time people come to me, they're either ready to throw the whole backpack away or they've started taking out these old stones and they're throwing at them at each other. So I tell my couples, one of the things we need to do is teach you good communication skills. Then we'll look at the backpack. We'll take those rocks out and say, do we really need to redo this? Can we just truly toss it now and then go through the stones? We have to, but let's learn skills to keep the backpack empty. I love that metaphor. I think that's super helpful, a really helpful way to think through like trauma and like if certain things are like worth it, you know, I think of of certain things in the sense that, am I going to care about this particular thing maybe in like three days? (laughs) Like, if not, is it really worth like whatever feeling or story I'm telling myself about this feeling? And if it's not like throw it in in the garbage or the backpack or whatever, you know, whatever kind of thing that you're thinking, it's a pebble, right? Like maybe it's really not as important as I'm making it out to be. And that's, I think, a helpful thing for me personally. Let's talk about your incredible Twitter presence because you are <laughs> one of the most fun people to follow on Twitter and on Instagram because you amazingly, uh, very smartly repost some of your content there. But your tweets are so clever and they really do offer someone a small step forward into the conversations and the topics that you talk about when it comes to sexual health. Thank you. Of course. And I'd love to, let's read through some of your, in my opinion, some of your best, most recent tweets. And I would love for you to expand upon them here if you're down for that. Of course. So tweet number one, go down a water slide without water and you'll understand why foreplay is so important. (laughs) Right. Like, tell, tell me about that. Talk to me okay, about what so, that means. Yeah. So, you know, I don't like the word foreplay, but I use it there because people know what it is, right? It's the stimulation prior to intercourse. But basically what happens in sexual arousal is two things. Our vaginas lubricate. Sometimes not enough, actually. That's a whole nother topic. And that's why lube is your best friend. But our vaginas do lubricate to some extent, some more than others, and our cervix pulls up and out of the way. And if you have penetrative sex before those things happen, it's going to hurt. And why? Because if there's no lubrication, it is like going down a slide with no water. It hurts. And so that's the lesson is like, take time to build arousal. And I think I also talk in the caption about lube being your best friend as well. Totally. Yes. And I think that it's so important to remember that 
again, back to these cultural and media messages that we're getting where people are just ready to go and they just insert Radham Cowboy. Like that's not happening. That hurts a lot of people and you need to warm yourself up. You need to do whatever kind of interaction, whether that be kissing or mindfulness or touching or using a toy in order to release some of that lubrication and get it moving. Absolutely. And in fact, this is really sad to me. 30% of women say they had pain at their last instance of penetrative sex. And most don't say a word. They just push through. They think it's normal. They think it's normal. And I say, if it hurts, stop. Use some lube, you know, see a doctor. You know, there's lots of different reasons for sexual pain, but a big reason for sexual pain is not being aroused enough before penetration. And that's what that tweet is about. (laughs) Yes, I love it. Moving on to tweet number two, research finds that about 40% of men are dissatisfied with their penis size. 98.5% of them want it to be bigger despite having average or above average size penises. Yet again, another example of false media images messing with people's sense of self. Like, I love this because I just want you to talk to me about the ways, you know, we've been kind of dancing around it, but that the media depict accurate and mostly inaccurate depictions of sex and penis size. Right. So uh, we talked when we went over the two minute TED talk that he puts it in and she has an instant orgasm. But the other things that porn portrays are very large penises. The men in porn have penises that are in the like, that's why they're chosen, like the upper 1% of penis size. They're professionals in the penis size game. (laughs) Exactly. And You know, so, so many men feel so insecure about their penis size based on this. And it's so sad because it's so interesting too. I mean, I just did a survey with my class and I was like, and there's been studies like this. I've just repeated with my class, but asking the women like in my class, what's most important to you during intercourse? Not one mentions penis size. And then when I ask, is penis size important? And basically, and if it is, Do you want it to be big, medium, or small? Everybody was like, average is fine. Because too big. Medium, I'll take medium. Yeah, I'll take a medium there. You know, (laughs) and so if if men knew the truth instead of what's depicted in porn, they would have fewer sexual problems because for men, a lot of sexual problems are due to performance anxiety, embarrassment, worry, shame. And a lot of it comes down to penis size anxiety. Totally. Yeah. And I think this is a perfect opportunity to bring up porn literacy, right? Like in sex ed classrooms I've taught at high schools, you know, senior year of high school, that is a perfectly appropriate time to start talking about porn literacy. Even too late, honestly, like if I had a choice, it would be like ninth grade where students are realistically have already encountered pornography in their lives. Yes. They need to know that it's not realistic and that it's a tool to use for fantasy and to get yourself excited sexually. And it's not realistic and it won't depict your real life sex, most likely. I just love that you're doing porn literacy. That is, you're singing my song because I think that if we had better sex ed that included, because porn is here to stay, whether you are pro, against, medium, whatever. But it's here to stay. So what do we need to do? We need literacy. We, and so I'm so impressed that you're finding a way to teach that in the schools. That's amazing. And We so do needed. get a lot of 
pushback, uh, as you imagine, even before I lived in Oakland, where I live now, I lived in Brooklyn for two years. And even in, you know, liberal Brooklyn, parents have an issue with you teaching their kids about porn literacy, because all they do is see those four letters, P-O-R-N, and they are out. They are worried that you're going to be showing porn in the classroom or whatever they think is going to happen. They think for some wild reason, even though their kid has had a smartphone since the fourth grade, that they haven't accessed porn before. Like it's, It really should be like a wake-up call for parents. Like If you're a parent listening, the average age that a young person first encounters pornography, I believe is 11. Um, I think it, it might even be earlier than that. I'm sure there are recent stats on that. But you know, not to say all 11-year-olds are watching a ton of porn, but don't we want our kids to be prepared for them to be able to say, oh, I see that that is happening and that makes me feel a lot of feelings, but I know from learning in sex ed, like that's not real sex. That is entertainment. Exactly. And I, you know, speaking of tweets, this wasn't mine. I took it from someone. I don't know who said it, but you wouldn't teach a kid to drive from a Fast and Furious movie, right? Exactly. But that's how we're teaching kids about sex, you know, is via media, via porn. Right. We had a guest on the podcast in one of the first couple seasons, and she is an adult performer, and her name is Mia Little. And she said that exact analogy of like, you're not going to be teaching kids sex from zero to 100 driving a Ferrari. Like if you're going to teach them how to drive, they're going to be in like a beat up Toyota going pretty slow. And like, that's how it should be. Pornography is zero to 100 in a Ferrari. Like that doesn't make any sense. You're not teaching a kid to drive like that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Okay, we got one more tweet. Um, This was one of my favorites because it made me laugh super hard. Uh, As a sex educator, people often ask me, how does lesbian sex work? My answer, both people have orgasms. So (laughs) I think this is a perfect opportunity. Also, if you could talk a little bit about closing the orgasm gap and really what that looks like. Yeah, so that tweet is about the studies we talked about and why do lesbians have more orgasms? Why are there not, you know, why is there a gap between heterosexual and lesbian sex. A, I said earlier, because there's turn-taking, because it doesn't all revolve around the penis, nobody's supposed to come at the magical instant moment in time, etc. And there's more communication. People say, oh, it's because if you have a clitoris, you know how to touch one. That's not true, because everybody needs something different. But maybe having a clitoris teaches you, you need to ask what your partner wants. So how do we close the orgasm gap in individual bedrooms? That's the self-help portion of becoming clitorate. And it has like four chapters. The first is the sex organ between your mind. You need to like think sex positive thoughts, be aware of your sex shame and negativity and get rid of it. You mentioned mindfulness. That's putting your mind and body in the same place. It's not that easy to do. It takes practice, right? But we know that you can't have an orgasm when you're thinking, do I look okay? Do I smell okay? Am I going to come? You have to be immersed in the moment. So that's part of it for yourself. Then the next thing is masturbation. We talked about that earlier, but masturbation is the most empirically supported, scientifically supported technique in sex therapy. You send someone home to figure out what they want, right? And then they learn. But then the issue is transferring into partner sex. And there's two self-help strategies for that. One is communication, right? Talking about what you need in and out of the bedroom. 
And then the other is changing the sexual scripts. No more, you know, foreplay just to get her ready, quote, sex, meaning intercourse male orgasm. Change the script. She comes first. That's the name of a book by Ian Kerner, by the way, about it's an oral sex how-to manual, but that's not the only she comes first script, right? It could be oral sex for her, she orgasms, intercourse for him, or oral sex turn-taking, or stimulation with a vibrator, she comes, then intercourse, or she comes second. So enough fooling around that penetration is pleasurable. He has an orgasm then use the vibrator on her. Or if you want to come together, and I don't mean at the same time, during the same <laughs> Nearly act, impossible. <laughs> exactly, because you can't be, first of all, we don't orgasm that way. And second, you can't be mindful when you're like, three, two, one, let's try to do it together. Like, it just doesn't work. Um, it's, it's just crazy. So, but there are ways you can come during the same act. Use your hand or a vibrator during intercourse or use what's called a couple vibrator. There's all different kinds of wearable vibrators, right? Where, you know, there's cock rings with attached clitoral vibrators, for example. So it's changing the script. So work with your mind, learn your body, communicate your body's needs, and let's do sex differently. That's how we close the orgasm gap in individual bedrooms. Oh, God, I love this. This is just all, even just you describing these acts, I think is like atypical, which it shouldn't be for sex educators to be like, okay, this is literally how you can do it. Like, here are all the options at your disposal. Use whatever works best for you. Like, I really think that you're demystifying these things in a way that feels so comfortable, so easy to talk about. And I'm just so glad that we've had you on this show for our first episode of the season. I'm so happy that you're here. Well, I'm so happy to be here and I so admire the work you do. And now I'm even more excited and admiring knowing that you're doing porn literacy. So it's been such an honor and a pleasure. Thank you. Of course. And let's talk really quickly. Our last question here is, I want to know what's next for you. Like, what are you up to and where can our listeners find and follow you for more? Well, the, the first question I'm going to take, what do they call it? Pleading the fifth. I do have another, I do have <laughs> oh, another. something secret. Yes, I do okay. have something possibly coming out secretly. Okay. Maybe still, we'll you know, so I can't really talk about it yet. But I can say one thing I have been doing more of that is public. You mentioned your mom's a gynecologist. Sadly, very few gynecologists get training on sexual health. So I've been so honored lately. I've been speaking at national OB-GYN conferences and district ones, and that's been very meaningful. Um, in terms of where people can find me, you can find me on my website, which is www.drlaurimintz.com. So D-R, then my name, L-A-U-R-I-E-M-I-N-T-Z.com. And there's links there to all my social media. But you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, all with the same handle, Dr. Lori Mintz. Dr. Lori, thank you so much for being on. I can't wait to continue the conversation offline, collab a little more. I don't know. Listeners, stay tuned. Maybe we'll be doing something together at some point in the future because I think that you are such a force and I'm so lucky to be chatting with you and connected with you and learning from you. So thank you so much for being on today. I would love more connection and collaboration. So let's definitely talk about that. And thanks for having me on. 
Our creator, host, and executive producer is me, Danielle Bezalel, aka DB. Our co-producer and communications lead is Katherine Cohen. Our co-producer is Brian Peoples. Our social media intern is Sarah Kelly. Our music theme is by Hook Sounds. Thank you so much to our featured guests, partners, and our listeners. Want to advertise with us? Email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. For more sex ed content, follow us on IG at sexedwithdbpodcast and on TikTok at sexedwithdb. See you next time.